If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the book of Psalms, the 29th chapter of the book of Psalms. And as you know, we have begun a new series of messages dealing with the subject of God's promises. And according to Peter, the apostle of our Lord, he describes those promises as being very precious, exceedingly great, as indeed all of the promises of God are, because God is a gracious and great God. And his great promises are recorded for us in this great book that we call the Bible. And when we lean upon these wonderful, great, amazing, magnificent promises of our Lord, they lead us to a great and magnificent life. The life that we trust will be pleasing unto the Lord and would be beneficial and positive to us as we seek to apply the principles of God's word to our everyday life. Today we're going to be looking at the subject of peace and God's promise to give us peace, a promise that we can rely on, a promise that we can lean on in our time of greatest need. In the 29th chapter of the book of Psalms, you have a description of a thunderstorm. If you would notice, please, in verse 1, my translation of the Bible, which is the New American Standard, says, ascribe to the Lord. Now, your translation may read, uh, give to the Lord. That's what you do when you ascribe to the Lord. You give the credit to the Lord. You recognize that he is the source of the promises and all good things that we have. And we are simply ascribing or attributing to and giving to the Lord the glory that he rightly deserves. So give to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Now, the mighty ones that he is referring to here, I tend to believe, are, is, is a reference to the angels, the mighty ones. And he is saying to them that they are to give to him the glory and the strength that he deserves to recognize his name for his name, which is the same thing as saying the Lord, he deserves this, is worthy of this. And worship the Lord in holy array, which means, of course, to approach the Lord in proper attire. So in the first two verses, he is encouraging us to give to the Lord the glory that he deserves. And if we will give to the Lord the glory that he deserves, then notice what he, it says, will do in verse 11. The Lord will give strength to his people and the Lord will bless his people with peace. So if we recognize the Lord, who he is as the source of our blessings and of the promises that he has committed himself to give to us. If we give to him his rightful glory, uh, then he will in turn give to us strength and he will bless our lives with peace. What a wonderful promise. What a truly an amazing, magnificent promise that God has given to us that he will give us a lasting peace. 
Now, beginning with verse 3, he describes a storm, I believe, that he is witnessing, a literal storm that he is uh, poetically describing. For example, in verse 3, he is suggesting to us that the storm begins out on the Mediterranean Sea. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. And then it moves eastward in verse 5 to Lebanon, the mountain range in the northern part of the land of Israel. He says in verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in places, uh, places the cedars of Lebanon. So the storm continued moving eastward over land to Mount Hermon, which is also called in verse 6, Syrian, uh, when it turned south and traveled about 200 miles down to Kodesh, Kadesh, excuse me, in the wilderness. It was accompanied by loud thunder. Notice in verse 7, he says, The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. So here is a description of lightning and of thunder as it literally shakes the earth uh, that uh, is experiencing this storm that is coming. Notice it also not only shakes the wilderness, but it is so violent, it is so strong that the calves, he says, the, the mountains leap as though they were calves or, or sheep or, or, or um, cattle. Uh, and uh, they prematurely uh, give birth to, to their children, to, to, the, to, the, uh, to the, uh, the calves. Notice in verse 6, he makes Lebanon skip like a calf and, and Hebron like a young wild ox. The, the voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire uh, which is a reference to the, the, to the lightning. It shakes the wilderness. It shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve. They give birth to their calves, to, the, to their deer before uh, uh, it's prematurely. And uh, then in verse 9, he says, he strips the forest bare and in his temple, everything says glory. So he is describing here uh, a, a thunderstorm that he is literally witnessing. And it is the voice of the Lord that is shaking the earth. It's not just the wind that's doing this. It's not just the lightning. He says the voice of the Lord causes this, which is a reference to his power, to his sovereignty, to his ability to do this. Notice in verse 10, while all of this is going on, in verse 10 he says, the Lord sat as king at the flood. I believe verse 10 is a reference to the flood that occurred during Noah's day. I believe that it was a literal flood that flooded the entire world. And while all of that was going on, the Lord was sitting on his throne. He is sovereign here. And it says in verse 10, the Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord still sits as a king forever. So God cannot be removed from his throne. Nothing can usurp the Lord from his sovereign throne. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He causes the thunderstorm. He causes the flood. The storms take place. But it doesn't disturb the Lord. He is sitting upon his throne. He has always sat upon his throne. Even though Satan, as we're told in the prophecy of Isaiah and the prophecy of Ezekiel, wanted to usurp God from his throne and receive all of the glory and the worship that was being given to the Lord to be given to himself. But even Satan could not, Lucifer could not usurp God from his throne. He sat upon his throne and he still sits upon his throne. 
And if we will recognize his sovereignty, if we will give to the Lord the glory that he rightly deserves, if we will worship him in spirit and in truth, then the Lord will give us strength and the Lord will bless us with peace. Notice uh, in this passage of scripture that the word glory appears four times. First one, it appears twice, ascribe or give to the Lord the glory and the strength that his name deserves. And then in verse three, he talks about the glory who thunders and that is the glory of thunders. And then in verse nine, again, in his temple, everything says glory. So imagine in your mind, here are the thunderclouds. And uh, there is a tremendous uh, storm taking place on the earth. But God is sitting on his throne and the mighty ones, the angels are giving the Lord the glory, 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 glory. What does the word glory mean? Well, the Hebrew word for it literally translated means weighty or heavy. Have you ever heard the expression of someone in responding to something that has happened or something that someone has said and they say, man, that's heavy. That, that's, that's very significant. It's very meaningful. The word carries with it the idea of heaviness and therefore of great worth, of great value. And uh, so to give the Lord the glory that he deserves is to recognize uh, that uh, he is heavy, that he is valuable, that he is precious. You remember over in the book of Revelation uh, when uh, John has his vision there, he looks and he sees God sitting on his throne and he has in his hand a scroll. And the question is asked, is anyone worthy enough to take the scroll out of the Father's hands to unroll that scroll and to interpret its contents and if such an individual could be found, he would have uh, uh, the title deed to the earth. Now, I believe that that scroll that the Lord is holding in his hand in Revelation 5 is nothing else other than the title deed of, of the earth uh, that Adam and Eve gave up when they disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. And that uh, there is this search that is made according to Revelation chapter 5 of things in heaven, of things on the earth and things under the earth for somebody who was worthy somebody who would be qualified to take that scroll and interpret its content and redeem the earth. And the search was made and to their dismay, no such one could be found. And John begins to cry. And then an elder comes over who I believe represents the redeemed of the Lord. And he puts his arm around John and he says, don't weep. There is someone who is worthy and he directs his attention to the lamb that is there who was slain before the foundation of the earth. And he says, there's one who is worthy and he will take the seal and he will open it and interpret its content and he will redeem the earth again. The word worthy there literally means who can balance the scales. And the idea is if you could visualize my body as a pair of scales and you put on one side of it the title deed of the earth and you cause the scale arms to tilt. And the idea is, is there someone who is qualified to sit on the other side of the scale and balance them. And if such a one could be found, he would be worthy to take that seal and redeem the earth. And John is saying, the elder is saying to John, there is one who is worthy and that one is the Lord Jesus. So God is worthy, worthy of our praise, worthy of the glory that he rightly deserves. Now, 
I'm leading in now to, to the peace, the subject that we wanted to get around to because while the storm is going on, God is on his throne. And I believe that he would be saying to us, I will not exempt you from the storm, but I will be with you in the storm. And while the storm is raging, if you acknowledge me, if you'll give me the credit and that I deserve and that I am worthy of, I'll give you the strength to withstand the storm and you won't walk in turmoil. You won't walk in stress and distress. You will be at peace even in the midst of the storm. I will give you strength and I will bless you with peace. Now, this morning I want to focus primarily on how this peace can be experienced, how you can receive the peace that passes all understanding. And I've given you six things as suggestions as to how you can experience this peace. And the first thing that I want to say to you is that if you want peace in the midst of the storm, then peace comes through salvation. It comes through salvation. You see, in order for you to to know the peace of God, you must first know the God of peace. And if you do not know the God who gives peace, then you cannot experience his peace. You must know him first and foremost. The Bible says in the book of Colossians chapter one and verse 20, it was through what his son that God cleared a path for everyone to come to him, all things in heaven and on earth. For Christ's death on the cross has made peace with God. And what he's getting at here is that before you were saved, before you became a Christian, or if you're here today and have never been saved, then you are God's enemy. And you say, well, I'm not God's enemy. I haven't, I haven't taken up arms against the Lord. Well, yes, you have. The Bible says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of the Lord's. And if nothing else, we must say that your sins have separated you from the Lord. Your sins, your iniquities, your transgressions serve as a barrier between you and the Lord. And when you are separated from God, you cannot be at peace. You cannot experience the peace of God unless you first know the God of peace. And you must understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, as the Apostle Paul says, there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And we might explain it as saying that, that Jesus, when he died on the cross, in essence, was taking the hand of God and the hand of man, and he was bringing the two of us together, making peace, taking away the wall of separation, taking away the sin, taking away the enmity, the hatred, the alienation that's there, and reconciling us unto the Lord, and thereby clearing the way that we might have the peace of God. There's a painting that I've read about in Billy Graham's book, The Secret of Happiness, about a painting that he saw in a museum in England. I don't know if it was in World War I or World War II, but the painting shows a soldier standing out in the middle of a battlefield with bombs bursting all around him. He has been sent out into the field to reconnect the communication lines that had some way been broken. 
And uh, he needed to reconnect those communication lines because the, the lives of literally thousands of men were at stake if, if the, the people who were in charge, the generals and those who were giving orders couldn't give uh, the, the commandments or the commands to the, to the soldiers, their lives would be in danger. And he had been sent out to try to find where the break was so that he could repair it. But when he got there, he didn't have the proper tools to do it, so he took one end of the line in one hand and the other end of the line in the other hand, and he brought the two lines together, causing his own death, but enable a communication to take place. And underneath his painting is one word, through, through. And that's what God was doing for us in the person of Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he took God's hand, man's hand, and brought it together, clearing the way, making it possible for us to get through to God. And when we get through to God, when we go to the Lord in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but through me, then we are at peace with God. And we have the peace of the Lord. So salvation is first and foremost how you get the peace of God. The second thing that I would say to you is that peace comes through submission. Peace comes through submission. In the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. Rule in your heart. And the word rule here means control, to take charge, to rule and to reign in your life. Because you see, you need not only to accept Jesus as your savior, but you must also accept him as your Lord. Lord of lords and king of kings. And I think oftentimes we preachers fail to communicate to our people, to you, that Jesus is not only savior, but he is also Lord. And as Savior, he redeems you from your sin. But as Lord, he takes charge of your life. And Christ is to sit in the driver's seat of your heart and of your life. He is to be the King and the Lord of your life. And he is to be in charge of your life. And you are to surrender to him. When you surrender to somebody, if you were in the military and, or, uh, knew, uh, or seen pictures of, of the enemy being taken... Uh, they throw down your arms and raise your, uh, throw down your, your, your rifles and, and weapons and raise your arms as a sign of surrender. You're giving up and you're giving up to the one who has conquered you. And that's what you do when you submit yourself to the Lord. You surrender to the Lord. You take the reins of control off of your life and you turn them over to the Lord. And when you let Jesus control your life, you'll be amazed at how peaceful things can become even though you are in the midst of a raging storm, a raging storm. Let Jesus control your life. In one of his books, the late Norman Vincent Peale tells of a middle-aged businessman who entered the doctor's waiting room at exactly three o'clock. The doctor was a little late and so the nervous businessman was pacing the floor, fuming and fretting, looking at his watch, obviously irritated by what was only a five minute delay. He entered the consultation room where the doctor met him and the doctor said to him, sit down. He snapped back, I don't have time to sit down. Well, you'll have to sit down, the doctor said, if you intend for me to examine you. 
What's your trouble? Trouble, he said, everything is trouble. The economy situation is terrible. My company is cutting back. I'm doing the work of two men. I'm run down. I'm tired. I need help. Well, the doctor calmly began to go through the examination. He counted the man's pulse. He took out his stethoscope and listened to his chest. He checked his blood pressure and so forth. And then he came out with this diagnosis. You're not really run down. Your problem is you're all wound up. The doctor wrote out a prescription. The man carried the prescription to the pharmacist. The pharmacist took a look at the prescription and he says, I can't fill this. We don't carry this in stock. Well, where can I get it? He said, in the Bible. This prescription, he says, says take three doses every day of Colossians 3.15. (laughs) The man went home, found his Bible, and opened it to Colossians 3.15, which says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts. He called the doctor for an explanation. The doctor said, your trouble is not physical. It's, it's, It's spiritual. You live in a stressful, noisy, confusing, competitive kind of environment. And you have let their pressure invade your innermost control center. The only cure is to let the peace of Christ rule and reign in your heart. So if you want peace, lasting peace, then you must not only accept Jesus as your Savior, but you must be willing to submit to him and surrender to him and allow him to take control of every area of your life. The third thing is peace comes through service, through service. Matthew 5, verse 9, one of the Beatitudes says, Blessed are the what? The peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, to be a peacemaker means that you must be willing to to serve other people, that you must be willing to do whatever is necessary in order to help other people to be at peace with each other. And, and to help one another, Charlie Brown once asked Lucy, what are we here on the earth for? And a moment of contemplation was all that was necessary for Lucy to respond, why, we're here on earth to serve people. And uh, Charlie Brown uh, kind of looked forlorn in his face, and he said his next question was, well, then what are the other people here for? <laughs> well, in part, we are here to serve one another. You remember Jesus in the, in the 13th chapter of, of John's gospel, uh, we're told in John's gospel that our Lord meeting with his disciples um, took a, a bowl of water and put an apron around his waist and he proceeded to go to each of the disciples' feet uh, to, to bathe their feet. And uh, of course, when he came to, to Simon Peter, Simon said, Lord, you're not going to bathe my feet. And he said, well, if you don't let me bathe your feet, you'll have nothing to do with me. And uh, so he said, well, Lord, don't, don't just wash my feet, wash me all over. Uh, I, I think Jesus in response to said, once you've been washed, you don't need a second wash. You just need to wash your feet. What did all that mean? I think it was a, a, a way of his saying about salvation that, that once you're saved, you're always saved. The problem is though, sometimes every day you get your feet dirty. You know, they didn't have paved, paved uh, pavements and sidewalks and streets like we have today. So everywhere they went, uh, they, they had to walk in dirt streets and dirt roads and dirt alleys. and They didn't have shoes like we have, so they had sandals or they went barefooted. 
And so if you were to go to somebody's house, the first thing that you, you would have happen to you is you'd be greeted by a servant who would have you to sit down and he'd take out a bowl of water and he'd wash your feet. Now he didn't give you a bath all over. He just washed your feet. And Jesus was saying, you know, Peter, you don't need a bath all over, but your feet are dirty and you need to have your feet washed. And then Jesus made this statement. When he came to the 17th verse, he said, if you know all of these things, you do well if you would do them. You know, they were fussing that the disciples were among themselves. Who's going to be great in the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, if you want to be great, then you've got to become the servant of all. Why did God save you? Why doesn't God just rapture you right now out of this world and take you on into the kingdom and be with him forever and ever? It's because he's got a mission for you to perform here on this earth. He wants you to be his servant. And if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, then you've got to become a servant of other people. God left you here as a child of his so that you could, in his name, offer a drink of water to clothe the naked, to go visit those who are sick, to go minister to those who are in prison. And as much as you've done it unto the least of these, Jesus said, you've done it unto me. And if you want to be at peace, if you want to have inner joy and inner satisfaction and inner peace of mind and heart, then you find somebody that's in need and you do what you can to minister to that person. And then the fourth thing, peace comes through the Spirit, through the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit. And again, it goes back to the idea of controlling. For in Galatians 5.22, it says, when the Holy Spirit controls your life, he will produce this kind of fruit, love, joy, and peace. So God, when he was here in the person of Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, he was limited in his physical body. He could only be at one place at one time. But he said, if I'll go away, it will be to your benefit because I'll send the Holy Spirit. And um, the Holy Spirit, see, is, is God in the Spirit. It's Jesus in the Spirit. And by being in the Spirit, he can be in your heart, in your heart, in your heart, in my heart simultaneously. And he can control you at the same time that he's controlling me. You say, boy, that's a big job. Yes, it is, but he's a big God. My God can do anything. And he can live in your heart and does live in your heart if you know him. In fact, Paul tells us in the book of Romans that if you don't have the spirit of God living in you, you're not one of his. So to be a Christian means that you've got to yield yourself to the Lord and God the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he takes up residence in your life and he takes over your life and he controls you and he leads you in the ways that he would have you to be. And if you will yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he will give you peace. And when you have this peace that passes all understanding, you may lose your money, you may struggle with your illness, you may fight for your health, you may carry a burden, your friends may fail you and desert you, but he never will. And the peace that passes all understanding given to you by the precious Holy Spirit producing it in your life, you will you will be able to stain and you'll be at peace. The fifth suggestion I give to you is that peace comes through the scriptures. It comes through the scriptures. Notice what Psalm 119 and verse 165 says. Those who love your law have great peace. Oh my. To know that this book is filled with the promises of God 
and that if you are not at peace, it might just be because of your neglect of God's word to feed upon it daily and to find daily bread. You, you eat every day, most of us do, more than once. But every day, feast on the word of the Lord because what table food is to your body in giving you nourishment and strength, the bread of life that comes from the book of life gives you the spiritual food that you need spiritually and emotionally uh, for, for your sustenance. And so feed upon the word of the Lord and find comfort and find peace. Those who love the law of the Lord and the word law there is simply a, uh, another word for the word of God. God's word is called the law. And so if you will feed upon the word of God, if you will love and read and meditate and memorize and hide it in your heart, you will be at peace. Have you ever dropped a pebble into a very still pool and watched the water as it ripples out in rings to the end of the, the, end of the pool? Well, you know, if you'll take a verse of scripture and drop it into the middle of your mind during the day, it will have a ripple effect, spreading peace throughout your entire life. If I were you, I, I, would, I, would, I would pick one verse of scripture if that's all you can do. Take, take one verse of scripture, memorize it, and hide it in your heart. And, and, and be like a computer when, you know, what comes out of a computer is what you put into the computer. And so every day, if you'll memorize that verse of scripture and hide it in your heart and bring it out every day and all during the day and say it over and over and over again, the strength and the peace that will come from that. And you can say, well, I, I, I don't have any. Well, let, let me just write down the references to these if you need them. They are ones that I have found great strength and peace of mind from. Isaiah 26, 3. Isaiah 23, uh, 6, 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. See, you just you trust in the Lord and you focus your attention on the Lord. God will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is focused and concentrated and stayed on him because you trust him. My, what a verse of scripture to give you strength and peace as you go through the day. God, I'm keeping my mind focused on you. I'm staying on you, Lord. I'm trusting you to give me peace. Here's another one. Oh my, Psalm 23, one. <laughs> Beautiful Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why would you want to memorize it? You're not good at memorizing. Surely you can say that one. The first, the first other than John 3, 16. I was the first verse I memorized as a child. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. The next passage of scripture that I memorized one Sunday morning sitting on the couch in my living room, in our living room, getting ready to go to Sunday school, waiting on my brother and I go to Sunday school was Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Didn't take me long to memorize it. You memorize it. You know it. You hear it all the time, especially at funerals. The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. That's what the little child said. Misquoted it. But I mean, what else would you want? If you got Jesus, 
Who else do you need? What else do you need? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Oh, there's the still waters. Yeah. And you go on and on. Here's another one. John 14, 1. You don't have to memorize the whole chapter, but the only time we hear this passage of scripture is a funeral, but listen to it. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You got troubles? Well, all of us got troubles. Everybody's got troubles. If you don't have troubles, you're going to have them. I guarantee you. You're either getting out of them, getting ready to get into them, or you're in them right now. Everybody has troubles. Troubles are everywhere. And the word trouble there literally means to be torn apart on the inside. It's like taking horses and just tying up, just ripping you apart, pulling off in all different kinds of directions. And Jesus knew it. In this world, he said, you have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Peace I give unto you. Let not the world, uh, you know, take it away from you, he said. So love the Lord. Know the Lord. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, Jesus said, then believe in me. And then here's another one, Deuteronomy 33, 30, uh, 27. Deuteronomy 33, 27. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Oh, to, to know that God's arms are underneath you, lifting you up and holding you up. There are many, many others that we could go on and on with. You, you find a verse of scripture and you lean on that verse of scripture and get peace and contentment in your heart as you claim the promises that are in that verse. And then the final thing is peace comes through silence. It comes through silence. Go back with me to Psalm 29 and notice in verse three through verse nine, you will find the expression, the voice of the Lord. And it occurs seven times. The number seven in the scripture num num numerals is a, is a perfect number. Seven times. Notice what he says, verse three, the voice of the Lord. Verse four, the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord. Verse five, the voice of the Lord. Verse seven, the voice of the Lord. Verse eight, the voice of the Lord. Verse nine, the voice of the Lord. Don't you think after seven times he's trying to say, God has something to say to you. Even in the midst of the storm, if you'll just be quiet, don't panic. Just listen for the voice of God. He is speaking to you. If you will listen, if you have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. The Holy Spirit said to, to the churches of Asia Minor in the book of Revelation, you got ears to hear, you got two sets of ears, you got physical ears, but you got an ear of the soul and of the heart. Does God speak? Yes, he does. Do you listen? Probably not. Or you wouldn't be in such a turmoil. The voice of the Lord. Psalm 46.10 says, be silent and know that I am God. You remember the, the experience of little Samuel when he was there in the, in the temple and Eli was, was his leader and his teacher and the prophet. He was just a kid. And one night the Lord began talking to him. Little Samuel thought it was Eli. The voice of the Lord called unto Samuel. He thought it was Eli. He got up, he went to Eli. You call me? No, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Quit bothering me. Little Samuel goes back to bed. He lays down after a while. God calls him again. Samuel? Samuel? 
thinking again that it's Eli. He goes to Eli and says, you call me? He said, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He goes back to bed the third time. God calls little Samuel and he says, Samuel, Samuel. He goes to Eli again and Eli recognizes, oh, God's talking to you. You go back and lay down and if he calls you again, you say, here's your servant, Lord, I'm listening. He goes back and he lays down and sure enough, God calls little Samuel again and he says, Lord, here am I, your servant is listening. Do you listen? Do you hear the voice of God speaking to you? If that wasn't enough, you remember old Elijah? After he had the showdown on Mount Her, you know, the, the, the prophets of Baal and how all of them got slain and Jezebel put a price tag on his, head, on his head and he ran for his life. And he went until he collapsed in fatigue and went to sleep. Angel woke him up and the angel had prepared a meal for him, said, get up and eat. Got up and ate. Now go back and lay down again, rest some more. And he did, he came back and again, he ate. But he's still running for his life. Ended up in a, in a cave, the cave of depression and despondency. God came to him and said, what's a prophet like you doing in a place like this? And he said, Lord, let me, let me see you. He said, well, you can't look upon me and live. I'm holy, you're too unholy. But there was thunder, oh, thunder. It rolled, but God wasn't in the thunder. There was a fire. But God wasn't in the fire. But there was a still, quiet, soft voice. And God spoke. Sometimes you need to just sit and be still. You know, some of the most precious moments that I've ever had when I was reading the Bible and looking at a verse of scripture and the Holy Spirit just took that verse of scripture and just made it jump alive to me. And I just sit there and let my mind wander and stretch and let God show me and teach me things that I never would otherwise know. Well, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but oh, he speaks to me through this book. And he will to you. If you'll just be like Mary, and sit at the feet of Jesus and drink it in and let him talk to you. Pascal, the French mathematician and philosopher once made this comment. After observing humankind over a long period of years, I came to the conclusion that one of man's greatest troubles is his inability to be still. Man, it's hard for us to be still. We're going and running and here and there, hurry, hurry, hurry. It's hard to be still. But oh, it's worth it. Eliphaz said to Job, now acquaint yourself with God and be at peace. How acquainted are you with God? How well do you know the Lord? He knows you. How well do you know him? 
I want you to take a hymn book, and I'm, I'm closing with this. We're not going to sing it, but I want to point some words out to you. And I want you to turn to page 333. On page 333, you find the song Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. And if you'll notice at the bottom of it, it says the words were by Elisha Hoffman, the music by Anthony Showalter. Anthony Showalter uh, was a, a musician, singer. Uh, he, he taught singing schools. You may have heard the old singing schools where they would teach you to sing by shape notes and all those things. And he'd go around the country uh, teaching and having singing schools. Uh, he, he loved the people that he came in contact with and he had some very dear friends. One night back in 1887, he got two letters from two of his former students on the same night, on the same day when he got back from teaching the singing schools, he got his mail out and he found two letters from these guys. When he opened both of the letters, he discovered that both of them had lost their wives in death. Both of their wives had died. And he was trying to, to come up with something that he could say that would comfort his friends in their time of grief. And he came up with this verse of scripture. If you'll notice at the top of the hymn, uh, the reference to Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven: God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. But Showalter struggled with coming up with the right words. He had this idea, but... He wrote a letter to his friend, Elisha uh, Hoffman, and, and he asked him, he told him about the letters and told him about the verse and asked Elisha Hoffman if he could come up with some words for a hymn. And so the words of this hymn was written by Elisha Hoffman. But listen to them, look at them. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arm. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear, leaning on the everlasting arms? I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Hey folks, you can't break God's promises by leaning on them. You can't. You need to lean on the promise of peace. Let's bow together. In a world that is full of turmoil and trouble, in a world while storms are raging, not just physically, Lord, but mentally and spiritually and psychologically, all of us, Father, going through troubled times some deeper than others. But there's a promise that you've made that as the king who sits still upon his throne, 
that you will give to your children peace and strength. We claim that promise, Lord, for ourselves. We thank you for loving us enough to care for us and to provide for our every need. And Lord, there may be someone here today who doesn't know and hasn't experienced the peace that passes all understanding because they've never discovered who you are. They, they don't have a personal relationship with you and they've never been saved is what I'm trying to say, Lord. They've just never opened their hearts and lives up to you and surrendered themselves to you. And they never will know your peace until they know you. And so, Holy Spirit of God, I ask that you do your work now. The seed has been planted, the word has been shared, and you've promised to bring conviction to the hearts that need it. And we pray that as we extend this invitation that you would lead those who need to make decisions and to make it public, that we might all rejoice together. For I pray it in the name of Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Amen. Would you stand please? And as we sing, if God is leading you to make a decision, you come.